0: Hey y'all, welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today I'm joined by Kyle. Kyle, how you doing, man? Hey, doing well, Frank. Thank you. That's good. All right, today we're going to kick off right away with our question. If you were to live in an anime world, which world would it be? I know you're an anime expert. Bring it on (laughs) us. What are you thinking?
1: Expert. Well, that's high praise. Uh, I would (laughs) have to say, just thinking right off the bat, Cowboy Bebop. Okay, why'd you pick that one? I've always wanted to be a bounty hunter, just Mm. for the hell of it. And I think that would be the most fun world to live in with space travel being so easy to access.
0: I never that'd thought that'd be my go-to. <laughs> I always wanted to be a bounty hunter. You're like one of the nicest guys I know. And then think probably <laughs> I'll be bounty hunting. is like, oh, that'd be cool.
1: <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. Like one of my most anticipated games was Prey Two. And it was the mm-hmm. fact that you were a bounty hunter in that game. It looked so appealing to me. And when that got cancelled, it was just a huge blow. I was like Man, there goes my fantasy of capturing space aliens for money.
0: Yeah. Well, there was that <laughs> Star Wars Bounty Hunter game, too, that looked awesome, where you're able to be Boba Fett the whole time, and it's like, well, there goes that idea. That's too bad.
1: Uh, Actually, yeah, it was uh, Star Wars 1313. 13. That yeah, looks really
0: right. cool. Yeah. Now, did you like the Bounty Hunter missions in Red Dead Redemption?
1: Yes, very much. Yeah, yeah they were a blast to play. I loved it.
0: Yeah, it was tough when you're like trying to bring him in alive, and you're like, "I just want to shoot you from the back of this horse right now." (laughs) (laughs) Try to be chill about it. I think the appeal
1: of it is like the freedom, per se, Mm -hmm. like to do what you want to choose. Yeah, that's what is what draws me into that the most.
0: That that appeal, I I see it in like it's a cowboy mentality, in my opinion. But it's I see it a lot in like um, truck driving. Sometimes it's like you're on the road; it's just you and a schedule. You know, you got to try to get there in a certain amount of time. It's like a Hank Hill talks about it on king of the hill and it's like man that, that is kind of appealing just to be out on the road and on your own
1: that's neat like one of my main fantasies is to go into west world and just do bounty hunting that'd be perfect sign me up
0: the second west world is actually available i'll sign up with you we'll we'll uh, see if we can get a two-for-one deal <laughs> we'll review for the podcast Westworld. let us know right before the robots go crazy we want to get there before that indeed um uh, all right, so mine, I narrowed it down to One Piece just because I like that Pirate's Life. It's for me. And uh, I it's I also like reality TV. So it feels like like One Piece has kind of got that reality TV idea, like everybody's going go for the treasure. And so I feel like I would want to be a part of that. And I specifically would like to be one of the villains on the show because, oh yeah, I always liked Captain Hook. And so I could be like a straight-up Captain Hook, arching story, like a real arch attitude about everything. It just seems like it's a lot of fun. So I'm going One Piece. Um I haven't watched all of One Piece because my God, who has the time? <laughs> it's a monster. I have
1: not seen that show, so I've I've heard okay. really good things about it though.
0: Yeah. I've seen episodes here and there, just but it's a it is a beast. So that's why I haven't really got into it yet. But yeah, One Piece. My second one, the one that I had a hard time shaking, was Sword Art Online. Because True. Yep. Oh man, what a perfect, perfect anime. Until it became a bad anime in my opinion, but <laughs> For a while there, it was so perfect. That was that tough first season was really good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it really was. I hear the books are really good, too. I think I've maybe mentioned it on the podcast, but Daniel's reading the yeah. books, and he's like, the books take care of like two layers of the tower each book, which is perfect. That's a good way to sell a book to me. That's awesome. All right. Going on for the network, guys, from the news we got coming up, we have a brand new Pushing Buttons coming out this Wednesday. What's the Pushing Buttons topic we're going to be hearing?
1: A bit of a back and forth on the topic, but. From what we discussed, we're going to be going into Elden Ring, like do a deep dive on it. Nice. I've been playing it on stream, and I've been really enjoying the game so far. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit later in this episode as well. Yeah, yeah. But we'll uh, do your yeah, first Kevin impression.
0: Be, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, that'll be good. I, I don't know how you do it, man. I've watched you die and die to the same boss. I'm like that controller <laughs> would have been across the room if it was me playing. No chance. Uh, okay, so we have that coming up. We have a brand new interview with a, uh, a new comic book uh, artist and writer that has such a unique way of making comic books, guys. It's going to be something really cool. And I can't wait for you guys to share. Actually, I'll just kind of spoil it right now. They play a D&D game and then write the comic book based off of what happens in the D&D game.
1: Okay. So I mean, it's kind of like uh, Critical Role, sort of, with like their that. new show on Amazon.
0: Yeah. And I mean, okay. how many times after we finished up a D&D session, is it like... I can't believe that, you know, fly pirate Jeff did this thing. And like, how cool that'd be in a comic book. <laughs> so, so for like me, that.
1: it was that Nat 20 with the cave, uh, you know, crashing down on the enemies. That was really cool.
0: Post recording. I mentioned that Nat 20 and how it was like, it's ridiculous that that could happen. And it's like, because <laughs> little ghost goblin up there, knocking down the top of a cave. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, yeah. So check out everything at geek freaks networks, guys. we got a bunch coming out for you. Let's go ahead and get into the news. We have 2023's Call of Duty is getting delayed until 2024. So apparently there's still Call of Duty coming out this year, but the 2023 version will be delayed. Very first year since 2005 that a Call of Duty is not coming out, which that alone is kind of surprising. Like, that's a lot of games. So my question for you is, why do you think Call of Duty is delaying this game? after like Microsoft buying them and stuff like that. What's your reasonings for this?
1: With the Activision Blizzard deal, I think there's a lot more logistics involved with Mm -hmm. getting Activision under their umbrella. And more than likely, I think this Call of Duty will be exclusive to Microsoft's console. Oh, wow. Perhaps that's why it's been delayed. That's the only thing I can think of because, you know, prior to this, they had, I think, three different studios making Call of Duty. So we had uh, Treyarch, Sledgehammer Infinity and Infinity Ward, Yeah, right?
2: I,
0: I think, yeah, Infinity Ward, yeah.
1: And Sledgehammer, I think, is still going, but I know Glenn Schofield left to make his dream studio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he's going to be making that new survival horror game I'm looking forward to, Calypso Protocol, I think yeah. is the name of it. And, yeah, uh, I think that's the main reason for the delay, of course, nothing's concrete yet. We don't know. But we'll see in the few years, in 2024, perhaps. We'll get more developments.
0: I think uh, one of the reasons for the delay is that Call of Duty Vanguard had just such a negative reaction. And they stated this kind of like as the the reason that the public's going to hear is that, oh, the, the Vanguard had a negative reaction. We feel like it was cannibalizing. So, like, as a Call of Duty comes out, players nowadays, I, I think this is very common nowadays, if they're not really excited to get the game, they'll just wait for it to go on sale and pick it up then. Well, they felt like people, when they're ready to play Call of Duty, will just buy the latest game and not play the game that could be played. And that's definitely the case for me. I've, there's been times where it's like, well, I'll just pick up the new Call of Duty then. And so they're seeing that happen. Um, but I also think that the Vanguard had such a bad reaction and Call of Duty used to be the FPS. Now oh, yeah. they're not. There's so many great shooters out there. A lot of them are just straight up free. And so it's hard to say you're worth that money anymore. And so I think that might be the case. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a competition as well. We've seen, Mm -hmm. you know, EA with Battlefield, although Battlefield 2042, I've heard, has been a technical blunder. Yeah. And of course, you've got Epic Games with Fortnite. I think that's also cutting in to their success as well. And they have a lot of competition now versus back when Modern Warfare 2 was the biggest selling game of all time.
0: Yeah. Modern Warfare, by the way, is what they're probably the one, is probably the one they're delaying because they mentioned they're bringing in a new Modern Warfare and they're bringing a new Warzone built on a brand new system that'll actually be able to expand over time, something they didn't plan on happening. Uh, so that's what's probably getting delayed. Now, there are many things that the fans want to see changed about this franchise, but I, I and, and that's the fans. The fans are already there. If you're already a Call of Duty fan, it's just like if you're a Madden fan, you're going to buy the next Madden. That's what you are. That's fine. I want to know is, What's it going to take for somebody like you who's not necessarily buying that Call of Duty game right away to come into Call of Duty? Because there was a day where I would buy the new Call of Duty campaign because that campaign was so good. And that opening mission was always just so freaking epic and neat. Now, again, I wait for it to be on like bottom bin clearance to get get that action. What's it going to take for you to be a day one purchaser?
1: It's going to take a lot. Um, Essentially, I haven't played a day one launch of a call of duty game since modern warfare three. Yeah. And that was mainly because I was invested more in the campaign and the story more so than the multiplayer. And since then I've just haven't had any desire to go back and revisit that kind of gameplay. I think that's the big thing as well. The gameplay was very much copy paste over the years. Like it was always the same. And what it would take for me to get back into it would be a really highly polished campaign like something i need to play and experience for, you know, to feel something new again.
0: We see these trends ebb and flow, right? We had, everybody wants those free games, battle royales, everybody wants those. And I think we're starting to see exactly what you want, right? Because we had this Elden Ring, which pitches this amazing story. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order, amazing stories. That's what's kind of being sold now, I feel like. And so what a time for Call of Duty to recapture that. And that's exactly what would take for me to come back as well Mm because they had this thing where it made it feel like you were that Jack Reacher or that James Bond in the middle of just like chaos, global chaos. And you were trying to push forward. You also had that squadron feel, So there's all kinds of stuff that is lacking from just like, Hey, go out there with your buddies and like try to survive in a battle royale mode. I'm not interested in that every night, but those campaigns stick with me. Those missions stick with you. So I think that's a, that's a way to get
1: back to it. I had another thought as well. Mm -hmm. Like I think it'd be really interesting. See like a different sort of campaign, like not necessarily like linear action, but maybe more grandiose open world game design, like you know similar to how they did Warzone. Yeah. But make it to where you're still first person, and you can choose how you want to progress to the objective, like either you stealth or you know right. going guns blazing, or maybe order an airstrike. Like yeah. that kind of flexibility in a campaign could be pretty cool. Yeah,
0: it. I mean, it kind of it gives you like a Wildlands or a Far Cry feel. Um, but with that, the, there's a level of Call of Duty polish that doesn't exist in Far Cry that I think might work really well for that. And mm. Call of Duty's got like that like fluidity. It's so clean that that would be cool. Like Far Cry can be kind of clumsy, but if you had that cleanness of a Call of Duty, that would be awesome. I'm on board with that. You know, I'm an Overworld guy, so <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. Um, and it worked really well for Halo. If you guys haven't played Halo Infinite yet, again, it's on Game Pass. Open world FPS, it was, it was a blast to play. So, we have a lot to come with Call of Duty. We'll keep you guys updated as things come out. Again, there should still be a Call of Duty 2022. That's not what's delayed, it's the next game. Because they already have the next five years planned out at these big studios. Next, we're talking about Fallout New Vegas. Have you played the old school Fallout New Vegas?
1: Yes, uh, it's one of my all-time favorite RPGs. Uh, the main reason for that is because of the writing. I feel like the world more so than Fallout 3, it was more lived in. Like you could see the impact of the events leading up to the nuclear winter and afterward. Yeah. Especially with all the different factions in the game. You didn't really have that so much in Fallout 3. You had the Brotherhood of Steel, of course. But in New Vegas, you had the California Republic, an NCR, and you also had the Legion, Caesar's Legion. And you could even you know, see remnants of the Enclave as well. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you had the citizenry, like people just living in the various settlements that you could align with as well, and even Dr. House in Las Vegas. And there's so many different ways you could approach the story. Like there's a lot of flexibility in your decision-making, and that would lead to several different endings as well. But, you know, on top of that, you had a really refined... Uh, combat system and one of my favorite parts of the game was actually ammo crafting that was really fun as well
0: what does new vegas bring to the table that we haven't seen from fallout 4 which is a
1: far newer game i think more so than anything it's going to be down to the writing mm-hmm. in fallout 4 you had voiced dialogue and it led to reduced amount of dialogue options for your character. And to me, it never felt right. Like, I didn't like hearing my character speaking because Fallout games, for me, I kind of self-insert myself. Right. Because the dialogue options were so detailed and specific to how you wanted to express yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there was, like, a situation for everything. Like, there, it always felt like you had a freedom of choice. But with Fallout 4, they tried to copy, like, the Mass Effect dialogue wheel where it only gave you, like, three options, like good, bad, or neutral. And it just didn't really feel like it was as flexed out. And that's the main drawback for me for Fallout 4.
0: Well, fans rejoice because amongst the Microsoft employees, there are talks of starting up Fallout New Vegas 2. And this is because Microsoft owns everybody that was involved with the original. (laughs) And uh, I myself, I'm a big fan of Outer Worlds. Again, made by this team. And it has that same thing. Like when you're saying where the fact you're not voicing your own lines, that's, that's out of world right there. I do insert myself into that game. I'm that character that's trying to make it out into the stars. And so I think we're going to see a return to that. And I think we're going to have a really cool thing going on here. Again, it, it reminds me of something that I like about Microsoft is that there's a bunch of fanboys and girls there. They like these titles. They have the money. They have the means. And now they have the companies to make it happen. And so they're already in place doing it. Uh, by the way, this comes from journalist Jeff Grubb. Uh, he works for VentureBeat. He put this out on his podcast, this this whole thing where Microsoft's starting this up, this process up. What do we need to see in New Vegas 2 to elevate it beyond New Vegas 1?
1: Mainly not have as many bugs at launch. <laughs> that <was a> big, <laughs> it's still a Bethesda big game, issue, I will say. It, I mean, <laughs> yes, granted, Obsidian is well known for having bugs in their games. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, over the course of Fallout New Vegas's life cycle and, you know, with the if different expansions they release, they put in bug fixes as well. So it's a really decent game to play now. But that would be the main one. Make sure it is good on launch. Yeah, I can't stress that enough.
0: You know, i got a question for you. Just kind of a hypothesis or something like that, where it feels like games nowadays, a lot of them are coming out with big bugs. And then there's raiding bombs. We're seeing that even with Elden Ring on the PC. People who experience bugs on the PC for Elden Ring, this game that is, I mean, outstanding and by every other right, because of these bugs, people are starting to review bomb it on Steam. But for some reason, Bethesda has seemed to be immune to this. Do you think that's going to keep going forward? But or as review bombing becomes more popular, they too will be sucked into it.
1: That's a good question. I don't think I've really seen any huge pushback on Bethesda's games being buggy at launch. Like, and they are remember, notoriously buggy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Like with, I remember Rage when that first came out. That was a huge mess. And even with some of the Elder Scrolls games as well on launch,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'd never really played those thoroughly, but I've heard reports that you know there's several significant issues with those on launch. But yeah, that's really fascinating. I never really gave that much thought. So I would say another topic for another time would be <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's
0: it. <laughs> uh, that's something we have to uh, maybe I'll have to jump in on that that pushing button. So I'll have to talk about that because it feels like they're immune one. to something that's like just so. Trendy now to ban- to you to jump on the bandwagons. Um, but yeah, Microsoft seems to be doing some really cool projects with this. And I think Fallout New Vegas is going to be actually, I mean, we're talking years out, but it's going to be pushed up to the top of the list. Is there anything else that you want to see brought back? Like we have all these different projects at Bethesda, Obsidian, all these different studios, Rare, within the Microsoft umbrella. They're willing to bring back games. We've seen that with backwards compatibility this entire time. Is there a game you want to see you brought back, a franchise you want to see you brought back?
1: Wow, out of the whole thing, um, that yeah. is a tough question.
0: Well, I'll, I'll start off while you think, just back to the Bethesda again. I want to see Oblivion brought back. I think Oblivion was so good, but people forget about it. It does have a strong modern community that's constantly, they just actually added all of the Kashyyyk, um, oh, uh, uh, a Kashyyyk world. Like they actually added more content to the game. And so there is a huge world out there that a huge fan base really loves Oblivion. The problem is Skyrim came out and just rocked everybody's boots off. So it's really hard because it lives in the shadow of Skyrim. But it itself was a really good game, Oblivion. I mean, of course, it has those classic Bethesda bugs that we'll have to (laughs) look into some point. But voice acting and just talented people about and the world building it did. And it was an RPG that embraced everybody. And it launched the Xbox 360, one of the most successful systems ever. Shows how strong the game was. So if they could bring that back with a cleaned up version. I mean, they've already released Skyrim 40 times. Release a new version of Oblivion. I think I'd be very happy with that. I would like to revisit that world and enjoy that majesty that I know is there. Because while Skyrim, you're in the mountains and you're looking down on like a snowy vista or something like that. And you're like, wow, how amazing. Oblivion was much more in the center of the land. So you got like a lot more forest and stuff like that. It was a lot more plains. I would like to see that again myself.
1: I mean, I'm notorious for not liking the Elder Scrolls games. I, mm-hmm. I'm like odd like that. And <laughs> I think them remaking Morrowind would be really cool to see as well as Oblivion. And maybe that would give me another chance to go, OK, maybe now I'll see what everyone loves so much about this franchise. Yeah, but I actually had a great thought as well. Uh, I mentioned Prey 2 earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Prey in 2017 was really great. I loved that game significantly. Arcane Studios, I don't think, can do much wrong. But if they bring back Prey 2 as the bounty hunter in space, like, sign me up. I'm there. I think Microsoft can do it.
0: God had have that bounty hunter action. That's what it boils down <laughs> to. I
1: think
0: I played Prey 1. I'm trying to remember if I played that franchise. I know it's I know it's The original iconic. one,
1: it was only on PC. Was it? And it was like, oh god, what year did that come out? 2005? And then I think I did play it. It was a standalone game. It didn't really have much tie in to the 2017 one. Okay. Oh, wow. I didn't oh, know actually, that. it'd be cool if Prey became sort of like what's the word I'm looking for? Like an episodic franchise Mm-hmm. where each game is different from one another, like an what anthology. What Shot kind of tries
0: to do nowadays.
1: Yeah. 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 That Prey be could cool. be like that too.
0: Yeah. That'd be cool. Man, we're in a good time of games. <laughs> I go back and all these games I still have to play. <laughs> um, that's a good one. Okay. So, yeah. So many good games out there. Let us know, guys. We'll put this up on socials. I'm, I'm writing down the time now. Uh, let us know what game you guys want to see Microsoft bring back to life. That's back in their library now. Dead Space is coming back, dude. That's so crazy. I love to play. I mean, not I'm not necessarily tied to this, but I'm just thinking about that. It's another one that's like, that's coming back. <laughs> you know, It is.
1: I can't wait for that. I think it'll be good.
0: Yeah, I'm hoping so. Fingers crossed. I know I've, that's one of those games where it's like, that's early on in my gameplay watching days. Where I would just watch those kills and you're just like, he just cut a limb off. It's just so cool. Uh, yeah, it was really neat. All right, now we're going to be talking about the brand new Pokemon trailer that just came out. We're looking at Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. What's your immediate reactions here, Kyle?
1: Not too thrilled. I'm not a Pokemon fan as much as I used to be. And this actually looks like more of the same. I wasn't too impressed with the visuals in particular. I mean, it's great that it's coming this year. That's really cool. And... Yeah, I'm happy for Pokemon fans. It's more the same for them. So good right. times ahead for them. Absolutely.
0: I'm a little concerned because, yeah, it, to me seems a little too soon. I mean, we That's just it. had because this is actually following Sword and Shield, which is the thing we have to keep in mind. It's not following Legends. It's not following uh, the brand new Diamond and Pearl that came out. So it is actually the right time for a new mainline Pokemon game, but because we got two Pokemon games almost back to back, it feels crowded right now, and I think they should wait at least one more year um, did you see anything you'd liked from the trailer?
1: Not really. I mean, uh, with Game Freak in particular, like I'm really starting to not view their work as particularly well done. Like, mm-hmm. I know the graphics aren't final, but that looks pretty damn rough. Those
0: ones probably are <laughs> actually. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and with Sword and Shield and uh, the Legends game, like it just, you know, my main comparison between these is with Breath of the Wild. And that game came out five years ago. And it yeah. speaks really strongly to the strength of the developer that they were able to pump out such great looking artwork and graphics in that game. And to see Game Freak not do that with more time on their hands, it's like, what's happening there?
0: Well, even more odd than that is the fact that Game Freaks has done it with Legends. Legends looks like Breath of the Wild. It's a beautiful, stunning game. When when uh, we're looking at this one. It looks like it's Sword and Shield too. It, I mean, it looks like it's a, just a rip-off of that. And I know, oh boy, the Switch has some limitations. Talk about a pretty oh, yeah. uh, hard machine to make games for. But still, you guys could take your time, do some shading tricks, do some lighting tricks. That's what Breath of the Wild did, really. Breath of the Wild was just a masterclass on how to make lighting work for you. And so to see them not pull that off here is odd, especially when it's another mainline game. I will say the thing that does interest me in this game is the fact that it feels like this might be a full-on 3D game, much like Legends, as if Legends was the beta test, if you will, for this something like that.
1: Yeah, just final thoughts. I think for me to get excited about Pokemon again, I, I really think a developer that's new and has fresh ideas needs to come in and take the reins on this franchise. Game Freak, I think, is starting to show the limitations of their design philosophy, and I just feel like they're copy-pasting yeah. way too much. The way
0: you say that somebody other than Game Freak should work on a Pokemon. It's like if there was a if there was a gaming Bible and there was like commandments in there, one of the commandments would be like, thou shalt not let other developers touch Pokemon. Like it just feels weird that Game Freaks wouldn't be the ones making it. You know, I mean, there are definitely like MOBA games or whatever that are off. But that would be weird. I would be interested, boy, talk about a good topic for another time. That's true. I would be interested to see what a different developer touching a game would look like. So say like, What would, I mean, we were just talking about Bethesda. What would Bethesda look like if they made a Pokemon game? Or Rare's Pokemon game. Rare would make a really good Pokemon game, I think. That might be something interesting to really fully explore. But, yeah, Game Freak seems to be a little bit stuck in their ways, and this is the result. (laughs) Well, think about
1: it this way. I mean, we're talking about Elden Ring, and, you know, we have so many Souls-inspired games that have come out as a result of from software's franchises. And they just don't hold a candle to their internal design philosophy. And I think the same thing is happening here with Game Freaks. They're so stuck in their ways that I think they need some innovation badly for the Pokemon that's franchise. Fun. And that's why me as a fan, you know, I fell out of it. I think there's a lot more room for growth.
0: Okay, so let's let's finish off with this. I think I am going to buy this just because it's one of those things where it's a mainline game. And especially those, I like the stories. Um, I don't want to fall into the Call of Duty-itis where I'm just buying everything that comes out. But... I do like those mainline games. Like, I haven't bought Legends yet. I will eventually. Uh, do you think you ha- will give this game a chance, or are you just to- totally off?
1: At this point, yeah, my tastes have, you know, changed significantly over the years, and it would take a lot for me to revisit Pokemon. Yeah. I will say that the starters didn't really seem to grab me at all. I'm not sure about you, Frank. Oh, I liked them.
0: Yeah, I actually, I think these are, I mentioned that on Twitter, I think these are the best-looking starters we've seen since Red and Blue. Oh, okay. Because they actually look like, what I like about these starters, they first off act- actually look like animals of some sort that's that's kind of a nice little plus for pokemon nowadays and second of all you could actually understand where they're going to evolve like with Char- charmander for example when you look at charmander you're like oh that's gonna that's a little baby dragon it's gonna be a lead ass dragon someday we get that vibe for each of these guys like the little duck pilot which everybody's ducktails is trending like crazy right now on twitter because of it that little guy is gonna be a badass ace fighter pilot later on <laughs> that's gonna be cool like that kind of thing you could see that like evolve up I like that one. You could tell where it's going. Okay, interesting.
1: Which one would you pick?
0: That's a tough one. That little dragon, that little dinosaur looks super cute. And then I just realized too, like quite a bit later after looking, game, he's like, oh, he's got an apple face. His face is like a cut up apple. So he might be grass type. I, I'm not too sure. It's going to be, but that cat looks grass type. I'm not too sure. We'll have to see. This might be also one of the first ones where they're not necessarily water fire and elect, or water fire and grass. We'll
1: have to see. I was also curious, like, do you think the starters need to change? Because it's always been those three types, water, fire, grass. Like, wouldn't it be interesting to get like an electric type or something different?
0: Yeah, I think water, fire, grass is kind of their way of saying, do you want to play hard, easier, or medium? Um, and I would like to mix it up. Yeah, let's do like air. We gotta air one easy out of this. Electric, that'd be easy enough to make. And then ghost type. Perfect. Boom, right See, there. This is
1: the innovation I'm talking about. This is what Pokemon exactly. needs to do. They have to change up the formula for me to get interested in it
0: just a little bit would be nice. Yeah. And then like uh, I would like to add a like little, little uh, rogue like aspect to it where you don't know what gym leader you're going to fight. Like you go into a gym, like it's different for everybody's game or something like that where like oh hey, you know, hey, Terry who's playing, my buddy playing the game, he had a really prep for this rock type pokemon trainer that he go- goes into. You walk in maybe thinking you're going off of Terry's advice. Terry's useless because no, it's electric type and you just totally built out I you know a wrong uh, team for this. That would be really neat. I like that. too.
1: I mean, I don't know if this is true for the recent Pokemon games, but, you know, I'm playing Elden Ring and you can go in any direction you want. And I think Pokemon needs that badly, like just that freedom of choice of where you want to go on your adventure. Yeah,
0: it doesn't take much to add that. And Nintendo's got the money. I think they should do it pretty soon. Absolutely. But let's move on to the the video game we're all talking about and watching on the Geek Freak stream, Elden Rings. Let's get our first impressions from me. What do you think?
1: Wow, from the get-go, I was really scared going into this game Mm -hmm. because I know if I play it, it's going to become my new top contender (laughs) for basically the game to beat when it comes to comparing new releases to. You know, it's kind of like I was explaining this to Kevin a little bit off stream. Like You know how you hold off on reading your author's favorite book or most popular book? Because you know once you read it, it's done. You'll never get to experience it for the first time again. Yeah, I'm feeling that with Elden Ring. I just don't want to I don't want it to be done with too soon. Like I want to take my time with it. And thankfully, from what I've been hearing, it's a pretty lengthy game. Like 80 hours plus. Wow. And people aren't even scratching the surface of the game. So for me, the most I can really attribute it to or compare it to would be Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. You have a similar type of overworld where you collect crafting materials and discover weapons along the way. But I think the best way to describe this would be an adult Breath of the Wild. So it takes everything that Breath of the Wild put forward five, six years ago. And just Turns it up to eleven with difficulty and dark fantasy. And granted, I'm only like maybe five hours into this game. I haven't really begun to experience the craziness of it. But just booting up and walking up to the Ur Tree in Limgrave, I was just blown away by the panoramic view of where I can go explore.
2: Yeah,
0: this is the first game from Fremsoft. FromSoft that's so open-world,
1: correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I would say they're loosely open-world in the past, but they were basically interconnected levels. And there wasn't a lot of ingenuity with traversing those areas, aside from walking. Mm -hmm. But with the horse, I think it's called Torrent. I haven't gotten it yet. It opens up how you explore the land, and I'm looking forward to when that happens.
0: Yeah. Do you think the open world games merge well with these kind of souls type games where you have to like plan your engagements, every
1: one of them? It's different. Yeah. When I first encountered the boss, the tree sentinel, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to need my horse for this because, uh, you know, walking on foot with a little battle axe and you're just like, okay, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you don't feel like, that's the right way to fight the boss, but you know, I still gave him my all. Mm-hmm. I maybe got him down to half health before I was like, okay, this probably isn't gonna happen. <laughs> and you know, there's a lot of flexibility with how you can approach encounters now because you can stealth as well. Mm-hmm. There's a hidden grass mechanic that you can crouch in that'll keep you, you know, uh invisible to enemies until you approach them. And I can really see some different builds like going. In so many different directions, like you know, according to the player's style. Yeah. So
0: compared to old games, specifically as an outside observer, it felt like like Bloodborne was very much on its rails. You approach the boss and you would just keep hammering on it until you got all those mechanics down and you and you downed them. This one feels like I'm not gonna down this guy. Let me go out, regain strength, strength of myself, RPG style, then come back. Do you feel like the RPG style and Souls game are being merged here?
1: I would say so. Yeah. Uh, the character creator is really robust and mm-hmm. you can really make all sorts of characters, whatever you can think of, really, which isn't really too crazy for an RPG. Like, I know there's been some variety in character creators, but from here, you can really pick your class. And from there, you can, you know, fine tune that as well based off of your starting item, which I think has occurred before in previous souls games, but now we have specific classes that detail what kind of play style you'll be jumping into.
0: Yeah. yeah I was looking at those classes. Like if I were to play, I'd be that one that looks like a nun. Was, <laughs> I forget what they're called, but uh, probably the
1: astrologer. I think probably. that's the one you were thinking of.
0: Yeah. They look dope. So I was like, all right, if I were to play that, would be that one. Um, okay. What does this game add that we haven't seen from previous iterations or, you know, let's 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 talk about what is what is in that line when we're saying that we're talking about bloodborne dark souls um what's the one that was right that was just before this one Sekiro. Sekiro. yeah so people kind of get an idea when we're talking about the games we're comparing this to what is this adding that the other ones didn't have we have stealth as one of the things
1: yeah definitely it's the exploration element mm-hmm. because with prior souls games there wasn't like a huge, expansive area you can freely walk around in and come across completely unexpected locations. Uh, One of the best parts about my stream, I found a cave on the coast. And I was like, wait, should I go in this cave? Like I was presented with the dilemma. And, you know, being the adventurous risk taker I am, I'm like, yeah, let's go for it. And of course, I walk into this cave, it's pitch black. I didn't go to the church, the cathedral. After that tree sentinel, who sold the merchant there sold the torch. Mm-hmm. I just happened to go a different direction along the coast when I first started playing. And yeah, I was ill prepared for yeah. that whole game. I watched and you in that
0: cave. That was uh, that was tough. It was, was tough. tough.
1: <laughs> yeah. I struggled especially on that boss fight when not just one of those big giant, I don't know what the name of them now, demigods yeah. or demi- People, I'm yeah, we see like demi humans and stuff sure.
0: like that. Yeah, demi human.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. Not only were there one of them, but there are two of them. And when they would scream, they would pull or aggro the rest of them from the far side of the cave. It made for a very thrilling boss fight.
0: Yeah, so the way you approach it is, yeah. I was watching you, and I was like, okay, my mentality is like kill the ads, right? Um, from yeah. from my history, and so I was like, kill the ads. But you did a good thing where you were like. Fighting the boss, but then like as soon as he would stop for a second, boom, boom, to hit this one out. Okay, back to the boss. It was that yep. combination of balancing the both that we saw as your guys you got to check out the stream. Really, that's where it boils down to. He has you did like five hours last night. Um, I did, yeah. As you're playing the boss, you see this evolution of kind of like a combat strategy form, and it get better and better and better. And so it was very tra- a very rewarding watch seeing you cl- uh, get better, and better at it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the takeaway. I think why I enjoy Souls games, because by dying, you learn from your mistakes Mm -hmm. and you can improve your performance and having so many tries over and over and over again, you gradually improve your gameplay and your strategic thinking as well. Yeah. It's very much a thinking man's game. It's not something that you can just, you know, wail away at an enemy over and over. You have to really think about their moveset, their patterns and the timing of attacks for when you can heal and there's just a lot of balance give and take there that I find intriguing for
0: someone new to the genre is this the game they should be picking up or should they wait
1: oh that's such a hard question because you know it feels harder after Sekiro because I was so used to playing Sekiro and now I have to relearn Dark Souls and it's like you know when Sekiro came out I had to relearn that game and it's like oh my goodness (laughs) I I would recommend it though I would and the reason for that is because there's so much more approachability in how you play. Mm-hmm. Because before, you were really restricted based off of those linear areas, like the items you find along the way. But with Elden Ring being open world, you can really choose like, how you approach any situation and how you progress your game, which is, okay. I think, very valuable to a new player.
0: All right, you guys, if you're new to the new to the genre, this is it. Kyle Kyle gives it the stamp of approval. Uh, Far early, far too early to grade this, I assume, right? You're only five hours into (laughs) an 80 hour game.
1: Well, let's see. Um, I said last week Lost Ark was an A and I even had an S tier. I think this will be an S tier. (laughs) You're breaking our
0: system if you throw an S tier on something. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) I think this is
1: going to be an S tier game. I'm sure with more time, I'm going to love it even more.
0: Okay. All right, guys. There we go. S tier game. Um, I know the streams are fantastic, and you you're streaming. Uh, typically you stream on Wednesdays, right? Mondays and Wednesdays. Mondays and Wednesdays. That's what it is. I've got the schedule. Uh, all of us on. Kevin
1: has been kind of slacking in the streaming department, so I may be doing right. that on Thursday as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. So you guys just check it out. If he's not streaming there, you'll see me streaming Horizon Forbidden West or uh, World there of Warcraft, been because there's a brand new patch of WoW and. I couldn't I couldn't hold out any longer, guys. I'm sorry. I'm a weak man. <laughs> I had, hey, I had I've been to playing it too.
1: Yeah. I played it just before this recording. I'm I'm there with you.
0: It, I wanted to my excuse is I wanted to test up the internet new internet and see how it does because it's one of the reasons I stopped doing mythic raids. And guys, the new internet works great. So now I'm all excited to really get into some mythic keys. Um and I'm gonna be pushing keys hard, so I'm gonna be working on that. Uh but yes, check out Elden Ring, check out the stream. We'll make sure to keep tweeting out every time it's happening. We're trying to really push the um updating you guys on the on the stuff that's happening right now over on our Twitter account. So that's cool. All right, we're already talking about Souls games. We already got those juices flowing. We're going to now, basically Kyle's going to now, rank the top five Souls games. Myself, again, outside Observer, I enjoy watching them, but I know that my controller would not survive the night. So we're going to go with Kyle on this. And Kyle, let's go ahead and start with your number Five. What is your number five ranked game?
1: Okay, so we're we're strictly talking from software. No Souls games, right? Here,
0: here's 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 about. So I think we should define this. Actually, you're right. We should define this before we go forward. I was thinking games inspired by Dark Souls because I think Jedi Fallen okay. Order kind of follows under that uh, in a to a degree. Myself, Hellblade Senua maybe, which is the far, is which is the one game that I have given a good shot to. What do you think?
1: So we can go. Some Souls games and some inspired by Souls. As long
0: as games. They, as long as you qualify them as feeling like,
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> like they should be a Souls. That, game. Ha- that actually makes it easier for me, so I'm happy good. about that. Okay, very good. Okay, uh, so starting off with number five. You know, I have to go with the original Demon Souls.
0: Okay,
1: and there's a good reason for that. It's the first game that introduced this kind of gameplay. It was rough at the time. This was 2009 on PlayStation 3. And this is the game that introduced me to the series. I just picked it up out of the blue because I saw so many people enjoying it and giving it high praise through word of mouth. And I picked it up and I was just totally blown away by the atmosphere. Like, I think that's what Demon Souls does really well, is it creates that world that you feel a part of. And through the various areas, finding those bosses and learning the mechanics of Souls games in general, like it was a pioneer in that regard. So I have to give credit where credit is due. I think Demon's Souls was a fantastic game. Sure, not as many memorable boss fights as what we've seen from later iterations from like Bloodborne or Sekiro or Dark Souls. But I really do give it high praise in one particular boss fight. It was uh, Maiden Estrella and Garl Vinland. Now, for those of you who have not played the game, it's a really simple boss fight. It's just a single NPC who has a big hammer. But what he's doing is he's protecting Maiden Estrella, who has the demon soul. Mm -hmm. And after you kill him, you have a dilemma, so to speak. You have to kill this maiden who's trying to help people. But because she has the demon soul, you need that to progress the story. And there's really amazing emotional music being played during this moment. And I just felt all sorts of You know, feelings that I never really experienced in video games. I know we were talking on the last Pushing Buttons, how games can do that at times. They can summon up or conjure up these feelings in very pivotal moments. And this particular boss fight is easily in my top five for all Souls bosses Hmm. for that reason. Remember this boss also.
0: We do eventually visit that emotional feelings tie into Pushing Buttons episode because... That's perfect. That's a great way to look at it. That most that dilemma of it's I felt that dilemma in Bioshock myself, whether you kill the little girls or, or save them, it's more powerful if exactly. you kill them. But it's like, yeah, but they're little girls. And so, you know. <laughs> and they got the cute little voice, little demonic voice, but they're like, hey, you wanna play? Like, no. <laughs> so, okay, that's cool. Um, and man, the very first outing too for this genre, I, that had to be the only thing before this that kind of reminds me of the difficulty level is Ninja Gaiden, which I used to play a lot as a kid on the old Xbox, uh, which was notoriously like, oh yeah, it's just the hardest game ever, so have fun with that. Um, And so, that's what it kind of reminds me of when that first
1: came out. Okay, I see that. Yeah, I played Ninja Gaiden as well on release. That was a freaking hard game. Yeah. Classic. Uh, All right, what do we got for your number four? Number four. So, this is where I start to feel a bit of uncertainty because there's so many to choose from now. Yeah. And I have to go with Dark Souls 1 in this case. Okay. I just have to do it. I have to do it. So 2011, you know, we were just getting done with Demon Souls and Dark Souls is being promoted. And it basically was the equivalent to how Elden Ring is today. Mm-hmm. I don't think that will come across very well. Essentially, it was being promoted as an open world game. And we didn't know any better at the time. You know, years and years later, it really sure. was like a linear based game. But for the promotion of it, it did seem like an open world style game.
2: That's similar
0: to just real quick. i sorry to interrupt you, but Halo 3 was pitched the same way. When we look back now, Halo 3 is not an open world game at all. You're on rails, but it was pitched at the time as the most open world Halo yet. Now, when you play Halo Infinite, you're like, oh, OK, that's open world. And so and yeah, I see what you're saying. There was a time when just having a wider rail was open world. But yeah, okay.
1: Well, the reason why I bring this up is because Demon Souls felt like levels. Mm-hmm. You had the different, uh, I can't remember the name of them now, maybe lodestones. And they would take you to different areas which felt like levels because at the end of them, you had to warp back to the main hub, which was the Nexus. Now, Dark Souls had the bonfire system where you could freely travel between locations and it felt, all connected together. And that's what I remember most fondly about Dark Souls. All the different areas, and similar to Elden Ring now, you can explore any path you want. If you're stuck at something, you just come back later and try it again. But a lot of memorable moments for Dark Souls 1, like Sen's Fortress, you know, the uh, the catacombs that were pitch black, that brought back memories of that when I went in that coastal cave yesterday. And... Yeah, just a lot of memorable boss fights, too. Of course, I can't fail to mention Ornstein and Smog.
2: Yeah.
0: Dark <laughs> you Souls. You know, the original. Yeah. Does the story translate from Demon's Souls to Dark Because I, I just actually, I recently bought Demon's Souls, the remake, whatever. And, I mean, I got annihilated so fast. I was like, time to take a break. <laughs> Haven't touched it since. Um, it does, is Are they related story-wise or no? Dark Souls and Demon's Souls?
1: They're not related. Um, You'll get like little hints of them being connected together through item descriptions. Mm. And the biggest example of this, I would say, is Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 2 had a lot of throwbacks to Dark Souls 1 as it took place several decades or generations after Dark Souls 1. And you would see remnants of areas that were in Dark Souls 1 that were in ruins in Dark Souls 2. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, it was like not directly like uh, mentioned, but mm-hmm. you could kind of get hints of that through item descriptions or boss fights.
0: Dang, right. I like that. I like the idea that you like. Oh, I recognize that that building. Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's go ahead and talk about your number three.
1: Okay, it's getting harder now. Yeah, because I I do want to pick two games, but if we're also including non from software Souls games, I want to include this one. It's Hollow Knight. Oh, okay. Hollow Knight! Wow. is bar none the best Souls-like game that's inspired by the original From Software games. Yeah, everything about it is a complete package. You have amazing visuals, like the art style in that game. It's breathtaking at times, like is, especially yeah. as you get further in the game. The music—it just really swells you up and makes you feel like you're in this bug world. Like it's incredible. I I love the gameplay too. It does have some issues with the charm system because you feel kind of hindered in that way. Mm-hmm. But as you open more slots, it gets easier to manage your combat style. But really it's just the charm of it. I think Hollow Knight just has that infectious charm to it that you know the game has soul. I I know we don't really talk about this very much, but the game has soul. Yeah. Like bar none. There's so much work done in the visual presentation and the audio cues. And even the combat just feels really good as you get more and more upgrades, especially the dash. Like getting the dash in that game just opens it wide up.
0: Yeah. So games with souls would be a really good pushing button stop for the future. I think that's something that, you know, because there's all kinds of examples when you start saying that. By the way, Hollow Knight, that I have played. Not beaten but played and it's so crisp, so sharp that uh, I mean it's a delight. That's a really good one. That's a good choice. Um, All right, let's go ahead and go on to your number
1: two. Two, you know, I could really put either one of these games into number two, but I have to pick one. It's Sekiro or Bloodborne. Okay. Sekiro, I love the combat system, but Bloodborne, I love the horror elements more. So I think I'm going to go with Bloodborne. Bloodborne was a huge game for me. When that came out in 2015, there was nothing else like it. Yeah, I think everything about the design with the weapon trick system, with how you can have a battle axe, and then you just snappily uh, press R2 and it transforms into a spear. Like, there are so many cool weapon variations. Like, you had a hammer, a two-handed great hammer, and when you use the uh, weapon trick system, it becomes a sword and shield. Like it's just so cool, like how they incorporated that into their design. Not to mention, the boss design in general was at times grossly disgusting and like horrifying to behold, while also being like super freaking cool at the same time. So it has a lot of elements from H.P. Lovecraft's work you know Cthulhu stuff and arcane space magic like it's really cool to see that incorporated into a Souls game just for the horrifying nature of the unknown the cosmic forces that can influence not only NPCs but also enemy design
0: I didn't know that they pulled from H.P. Lovecraft and that actually inspires me to really look into that game Um, that was exclusive to PlayStation correct
1: Sadly, yeah, it is only on PlayStation 4 and fans have been dying for a PC re-release to happen to get 60 frames per second gameplay. Because right now, you know, you can only play on PS4 and it's strictly limited to 30 frames per second, which just kills certain areas of the game, which is a shame because it could really be up there as one of the all time greats like Sekiro or Elden Ring now if it had consistent. 60 frames per second gameplay.
0: So it's at number two right now. And I think we know just from how you were talking, what's going to be number one.
1: But so it's yeah, if they uh, if they gave
0: it that polish, if they release it on PC, 60 frames per second, probably new texture. Do you think it would be at your number one?
1: Oh, yeah. Like oh. bar none. It's number one. Yeah. OK, wow. Um. That, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> All right, then what? Let's go ahead and get your number one out there.
1: So, you know, Elden Ring, I'm still playing it, but Sekiro is number one. OK. And there's a amazing reason why it's because it taught me how to parry in souls games and bloodborne does this too you have uh i forgot to mention this as well for bloodborne you have like weapons that you can use that are guns or shotguns Mm -hmm. and if you uh, like shoot at the enemy while they're swinging you can you know uh parry their attack essentially and do what's called a visceral attack where you do a critical hit It's like a grab almost, and you get health back. So it really made the Souls games a lot faster with Bloodborne. Like there's more action focused. And Sekiro took that up even further with their gameplay because you have the sword as your main weapon. Mm -hmm. And you also have the prosthetic arm, which is basically like a sub weapon. And there's several different ones you can get that, depending on the situation, will help you. And what Sekiro did really well is it made me unlearn Dark Souls and learn Sekiro how to play it because I struggled when it first came out. I had a hard time playing Sekiro. And that was why it was so good for me. Mm -hmm. It basically taught me, hey, you don't know what you're doing. You're not the badass Souls player you think you are. It took me back to basics. And that's why I love the game.
0: You mentioned Elden Ring actually kind of undoing that earlier in our conversation. What is it that you're having to unlearn about about these games and relearn?
1: Uh, So, with the combat system in particular, Bloodborne and Sekiro both were so action-focused and fast. And playing Elden Ring is more akin to Dark Souls. And having to relearn that slow-paced gameplay and say, Wow, I really did take that speedy Sekiro and Bloodborne stuff for granted. Like I felt more like uh, tied up with mm-hmm. my actions available to me, especially with my giving class, my hero class, because uh, I've got that little battle axe. So I'm just you know chopping away at someone's foot, and I'm like, oh man, this is bringing back so many memories from Dark Souls one through three. Yeah, and uh, I think once I get the torrent mount, though, it'll speed up quite a bit. I haven't experienced that yet, and I'm sure as the game opens up more, that'll quickly become my number one game just for the exploration element alone.
0: So Sekiro and Bloodborne, do you feel like you were more on the offensive? Like you're, you're trying to take them down before they took you down than you are in the other ones.
1: You know, that, that's a great question because in Bloodborne, you're the offenser. Like you're always going in there and taking the enemy by surprise, mm-hmm. but it feels like in Sekiro it's more stealth based And not only that, but with the death blow system, you have to wear down the enemy's stamina bar to do so. It's not so much health-based. So typically there's like two death blows per boss. And the way you build that up is by wearing down their stamina to where they become susceptible to you doing a death blow. And after like phase one, you do your first death blow, the boss can change its design or its characteristics and become more difficult to fight. And I feel like as a player, I was playing more defensively in Sekiro. Right. And I think that's the spin that I had trouble getting used to. Because in Sekiro, I had to learn how to parry to do more stamina damage, to do the death blow. Right. And it was the first Souls game that I had to drop and pick back up months later. Cause it was so hard and I just could not get into the rhythm of it. Mm-hmm. But after putting it down and picking it up again, I played it through to completion and I had a blast with it.
0: Damn. I am buying, I've got, what am I saying? I'm going to buy. I have demon soul sitting there <laughs> waiting for me to get into it. And I, but now I'm like, i got to try Sekiro now. I'm bloodborne. You've got, uh, you've got tasks to do Frank. <laughs> play, those, play the other ones first. Um, what I like about this conversation, Kyle, is I think a lot of players are like me where they're almost intimidated by these Souls games because watching the endless deaths. I mean, you played for five hours. How many deaths did you have last night? It was,
1: I had at least two dozen, I think.
0: Yeah. So they, they come pretty frequently and with a lot of effort, it's not like you're just dying instantly. No, you fought it out. So it's been intimidating. And I think as an outside player listening to you talk about it, hearing the differences and different strategies and stuff like that, it's, it's a better understanding of that world that we're just, we're a little scared to get into. So I appreciate that. You kind of breaking down what that world looks like. That's pretty awesome. All right. Um, we have our top five here. We're going with demon souls, then dark souls one hollow Knight, which is that, that was cool. That's oh Boy had me talk about crisp game, man, bloodborne yep. and then Sekiro, Elden ring, not on the list, but I think that's mostly because you're just too fresh into it. Right.
1: I am. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I have to mention as well, I picked, Dark Souls one out of the trilogy. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have Dark Souls three on there, but that would be my number six. Okay. And then uh, Dark Souls two would be after that. And I haven't played the remake of Demon's Souls on PlayStation five because I don't have one. Yeah. Uh, But I feel like it would do the game justice if I were to play it again. I think I'm excited to see how that came out. If you had a PS5,
0: I would just send you mine, to be honest with you, (laughs) because
1: it's gorgeous. The beginning
0: of the game is gorgeous. That's where it stops for me, (laughs) but I I will eventually figure it out. Um, Yeah. (laughs) All right. If you were to pick, just while we head out, this would be the last thing we mentioned. If you were to pick one Souls game to kind of get people warmed up to this idea, this system, what's the the pick? And it could be a non-Souls game, right? We talked about other games as
1: well. Yeah, speaking of non-soul's games, I played Code Vein and that does not yeah. compare to From Software's games. Like, I wanted to really give it the benefit of the doubt, but mm-hmm. it just it did not hold a candle to Dark Souls or anything like it. I haven't played The Surge, so I can't recommend that. And as far as a recommendation for a first-time player, I think Dark Souls 1 would probably be the best one to play first because okay. it has all of the elements it has not only the expiration with the bonfire system and fast travel so that helps tremendously it's got a good ramp up in difficulty it's not too bad at first but as you learn the game you know you start to pick up the little hints here and there of how enemies react to your attacks and how they attack you like it's a good balance between offense and defense like it really teaches you a lot about the game as well hmm. Uh, I think it has the best tutorial area aside from Elden Ring, of course. Elden Ring's tutorial is fantastic, by the way. So, if you're a new player, I would check that out as well. But Dark Souls 1 had the best tutorial out of the main games, I would say. Okay. And yeah, it's a classic. It's so, a classic. and it's cheap at this point.
0: It. Everybody can pick it up for pretty cheap at this point.
1: I would assume. I that. have not played the remastered edition, so mm. I can't speak to that, how that holds up. But the original Prepare to Die edition. You can't buy it anymore, but it's really good on PC.
0: Okay. Worth checking out. Um, I, I And you guys have probably already gotten familiar with some of the combat ideas because I know like Rise and Forbidden West, matter of fact, has that, that dodge idea at a very light level, but it was inspired by it. Assassin's Creed has embraced a lot of those mechanics as well. So it's out there. It's time to kind of start investing into checking it out and really seeing the genre. All right. I appreciate
2: you going over those with us. All right. Anything else you want to uh, mention before we close this one out?
1: Lost Ark is amazing. Yep. Please play it. It's a free-to-play game. Yep. Uh, I highly recommend that as well. Okay. Lost Ark. February's been a great month.
0: It has been. And then what was the other game that we were talking about? Oh, yeah. Horizon Forbidden. I mean, what an outstanding game. Bad for our wallets, but outstanding (laughs) month. Um, All right, guys. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Again, check out Pushing Buttons coming out on Wednesday, and then we're going to have a new interview coming out on Friday. Take a look at all of it. You guys have a great day. Bye.